Here we go. We are talking about something totally different. We are talking about death. Psalm 116. 116. If you've never marked it, here's a verse you want to mark. Verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is what? The death of the saints. Why would he say that? Well, let's, let's talk about some of these things. Okay, we started last week. If you're visiting with us, we started a three-week different seminar that's going to go into, um, in, into the evening service after next week. Um, but what, it is, what we're talking about is death and dying and preparations, plans, and those types of things so as to help people who are going to encounter that. Uh, in fact, the Bible indicates that all of us will encounter it unless the Lord works a miracle in the intervention being the rapture. Otherwise, we're going to die. We as family members, we're going to have that experience. But Jesus calls it, God calls it, a precious thing. And part of that is because it's the first time that he and us get to see face to face when we get to heaven. And as well, that hope, that help, that reunion that we would have with loved ones is making it a precious moment. For some of us, even more as we go through life and all of a sudden we encounter more of our friends, more of family passing away, that even makes heaven even a more thrilling and exciting and hopeful place. But when we look at the life of Christ... especially his last seven sayings on the cross, there are some principles that we can just draw from there that we should keep in mind as we talk about this entire topic. We should remember that we all die. Jesus Christ himself, even though the Son of God, he died. And we understand the reason he did that in his humanity was to pay for our sins. But the Bible makes it clear we are all going to die. We also know that when we die, Jesus says, I commend my spirit into your hands. The idea is that we are going to continue to live on. We will, when we close our eyes in death, we will open our eyes and be in a another realm, another location, but we will continue to live. There's multiple passages of Scripture that talk about that. We made this observation. For believers, that, that process, okay, even though we know it's going to be a, a blessed time when we cross over, there's still the process that we go through. It can be extremely difficult. It can be scary. It can be horrible for some. And I tried to be tactful last week and just mentioned that when some people die, they don't all experience seeing the angels and the heavens open up. Even for believers, there can be a very difficult time. It could be uh, discomfort. It could be not thinking clearly, thrashing. It could be expulsion of different body fluids that could make it a very, a very... Uh, traumatic experience for the family members who aren't expecting that. So it can happen. Not all the time, but it does happen. There are, there are multiple cases we've been there that the people have had that's happened and it's been uh, a not a pleasant, memorable experience. It's one you want to get out of your mind. And so, again, then you have the flip side. You have those who sit up in bed and they see the angels and they're like, praise God, but it, it varies. Um, death is not easy for the family and friends when Jesus' own family is there it is a very hard thing for them just like his death was hard they were seeing him suffer it's hard for family to see somebody uh, even saved people seeing a loved one pass it can be extremely difficult we need to be sensitive and tender and understand that when ministering we can be confident we're going to die but we can be confident of our eternal destiny right now some of you, me, we grew up in churches that told you you don't know, it's a hope so you have no ability to know but the Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life and we have this hope, to be absent from the body is to be 
Right. Some people would say, well, we don't know. Well, the Bible says we can know, and we have that assurance. We should be preparing for that time even now, even ahead of time. Um, if Jesus makes the comment, I've finished the work, I've put everything in place, I've settled all of my business, if you would. I've done all of your business, Father. And so before he is uh, approaching death, he's prepared for it. We should do likewise. We'll talk a lot about that today. We should make preparations for those we leave behind. Remember what he said to John and his mother? Behold your mother, behold your... Yeah, so he's taking, making preparations. As hard as it is, God can use these occasions. He uses the death of Christ in all of our lives. Some of us, he used the death of loved ones in our lives to just give us a wake-up call or to draw us to salvation or to help us to rethink priorities. And so God used them like he did in Lazarus's case that he used it in the life of the believers. He says, for the disciples, for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there to raise him right away, that he died, so that you might believe. They're already born again, but he's saying that I'm going to increase your faith. And it does that. Okay, those experiences do for us. Like Christ, we should seek to minister to people like he did with the thief on the cross. We should minister to people who are dying, even in our moments of illness and pain and death. And so there's questions we need to talk about. What do we do in somebody who's a loved one? What do we do for the family? How do we respond immediately within hours, the next few days? How do we respond in the days and weeks to follow? And so we're going to talk about that this week, next week. And then we're talking about this one, and we just stopped last week. We, I, wanted to, I want to spend a few minutes on this before I get into death and dying, because this is approaching it. There is the issues of terminal illness. We are living in a day where there's a whole lot of issues and biomedical issues that come up with this. We live in a day that our medical, our medical system had, and I'm so thankful for our medical abilities here in the United States, and so grateful that we have so many abilities. I mean, years ago, people had heart surgery. They were in the hospital for weeks. Now, they can be out within days. I remember just the uh, heart catheterization. Remember those days where the people had to lay solid, flat, not move, and they'd be in the hospital for a couple days? Now it's a totally different thing. Now they put stints in, and you get up, and you can leave later. It's, it's an amazing world that we live in. And at the same time, that world has extended our lives, but it's also created issues for us. The issues are like, okay, what do we do? What about, you know, years ago people didn't have the options for some of the different surgeries, some of the different medications, and that opens up a whole realm of, of questions. Back in, prior to about the 1950s, there was an approach to, that doctors in the medical world had that was typical. It was called a more passive approach. The passive approach to people dying was basically this. The passive approach was the, was the idea that we will just like nature do what? run its course, and we will make the person comfortable, okay? And so we're not going to do a whole lot. Well, with the rise of medication, all of a sudden, you know, and the good advancement of medication, all of a sudden it's like we can do more, we can do more, so how much should we do to extend that person's life? And some of you sitting here, you're, you're, um, you're a beneficiary of medication that has extended your life because of heart surgeries or other type of surgeries, you know, and that's a praise. That's a good. Um, but then, after that, with that rise of medi- medicines and the, the idea, and they're, they're passive, all of a sudden, the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, there became another approach to death and dying. And it's called, uh, not a passive approach, it's called an active approach in the medical field. And so when you read about it, that's what they're referring to, is, there is a, there's an approach to, well, if this person is is ready to expire, they, they're done fighting, we will assist them 
to go through the process in a quicker fashion. Okay? And that gets into that whole idea of euthanasia and those types of questions. Some of the debates then became over issues uh, such as some of these questions would start rising. And they were involved in the debate and still are involved in the debate. You know, is it right to pull the plug? Some of, them, some, some of the conversation goes, well, we should take a more active approach in helping somebody because it's a burden on the family to see the person suffering. It's, a, it's an expense upon the family. It is a drain on medical resources. And these are part of the arguments that are still being put out there today saying we should be more active. Well, there was a response in the 70s and 80s that every, most every state in the 70s and 80s passed laws to try to define and try to regulate more of the active and passive approach. And the big question they had to define was what? Okay, here's your question. When does death occur? Oh, by the way, does this sound familiar about the other side of life? When is the beginning of life, right? When is a baby life? Well, the same question is over here on this end. And so what happened in the 70s and 80s, most every state passed definitions and laws to restrict, to identify what, it, what passive or active, or I should say active, approach they could make to medical science. And so then the criteria became, in the 70s and 80s, the criteria wasn't like Leviticus 17. You know, life is in the blood, therefore when there's a heart attack and blood stops flowing, they're dead. Um, breathing. Okay, when they stop breathing, they're dead. Well, that's not always true, is it? Okay, because heart attack victims, that can be just the opposite. So what became the criteria in the 70s and 80s? What was the laws? What did they go by? Brainwave activity, yeah. And so evaluating the brainwave activity, and that became some of the, some of the measure points and became the, the more regulatory from the medical point of view and from the, from the political point of view, that became the regulations. But even now, there is, a, there is, again, there's a lot of discussion, especially coming into our country, there's some of these questions about expense, medical, uh, draining on the medical. And I think you, you and I can understand that degree that says, okay, um, Brian, you're sitting here. I'm going to use you as the dead guy this morning. Thank you for volunteering. Okay. He's, he's so close to... You don't have to totally go to sleep. Okay. He's so close, and there's other people over in the other room. We could... You know, we're using a lot, of, a lot of time and energy, and he's probably not going to make it. You know, the chances are 10%. We should be spending that time. Do we understand that would be brought into the discussion? Okay, I understand that being brought up, the expenses. I understand the burden of the family. Because can his, his near death, can that be lingering and going through a lot of medical, can that drain a family? Yes. Oh, sure it can. It can in many, many ways. So then the question, then there became this whole rise of the living wills. And the living wills to just let's expedite things. And so what I want to do is just, just get you to think for a few minutes about this whole topic because we need to go back as believers not on what is expeditious, what is money-wise, what is, okay, um, big, big, big issue in this is quality of life. That's the big question. If you're not careful with that issue of quality of life, that could apply to many people. You know, there's, there's elements that could say, well, define for me what is the standard of quality of life? 
Who is the standard? What is the standard? Is the standard of quality of life being able to move about like you and me? Well, if that's the standard, then what about somebody who's lost the ability to ambulate, to walk around? So does that mean they don't have quality of life? We should get rid of them? Have societies ever gone that route and started some type of genocide to those who are handicapped? That has happened. Has it happened in recent history? It has. So we as believers need to be careful and cautious what we define and say. But every one of us would say this about ourselves. Most every one of us would say, if I don't have real quality of life, I would just as soon go be with the Lord. Well, hey, let, me, let me lay this out. I'd rather go to be with the Lord right now, okay, and be done with paying bills, okay, and live at His expense, okay. I'd be, I'd be happy to be raptured. I'd be happy not to go through death. In fact, I would rather to be raptured than to go through the process of death. And so, you, but you and I need to be cautious and to be careful and not to be over-anxious in some of this. Why is that? Biblical principles. Biblical principles when it comes to this area. The Bible doesn't talk about euthanasia. The Bible does not address how far you go with medicines. It doesn't. And that's obvious because it wasn't there at the time. Okay, but does it give us principles? And so going and talking about this, you know, just follow through with what I'm saying. The Bible when it comes to life, it, it addresses life. The Bible makes these types of comments. It makes it clear that life is good. Human life is good. Any human life is good. Let's expand that. All human life is valuable in the eyes of God. Every person. In fact, we know that because if we take a life of somebody and it's not because of a punishment that God has, has authorized, if we take and shed innocent blood, then what was the response in scriptures? Those who shed innocent blood... Their blood was to be shed, okay? And God, uh, God approved of capital punishment for those who would take life. Why? God valued life because every person has some of this in them. What is it? The image of God, okay, is in every individual. So human life, we look through and we can find multiple passages that God sustains human life. None of us are going to exist and continue to live. We're not going to breathe without the grace of God. Okay, our every breath is a, is a gift of God. Our food is a gift of God. Our sunshine is a gift of God. The, the, the holding our solar system, our universe together, keeping our world somewhat defined from destroying all life, that's, it's God is sustaining life. And so we know that. We understand that. And by the way, that means medical doctors are not the ones sustaining life. They are not gods. Hershey is not a worship center, Hershey Medical Center. It is a medical center, but they have limitations. Okay, they can only do so much. It's God that gives and keeps life. Okay, death. We know this. Death is under God's control. We know that the, unto the Lord belong the issues of death. We understand that God brings death into our life at an appointed time. It's part of his sovereign plan. It's part of his wisdom. When our days are going to be numbered and how many numbers there are. We understand this as well. God alone has the final say. Even though Satan was having his heyday with Job, he could not take his life without God's consent. Okay, so God is the one that has the final say in this matter. So we're, we're, again, we're laying out principles, principles that some of you are going to have to deal with. Some of you are going to have to deal with parents. When do you stop the medical care? These are principles. Some of you might have to deal with children that all of a sudden a disease or an accident, when do we stop this? What about your spouse? 
biblical principles that may have impact. What about suffering? You and I think this. You and I, our immediate response to suffering is get rid of it all. We don't want it. We don't want it in our life. I don't want it in her life. I don't want it in my kids' lives, the grandkids' lives. We don't want suffering. I don't like it in your lives. I don't, I don't enjoy going to the hospital and seeing people in pain. Do you? We would, ju- we would just as soon eradicate it if we could. But wait a minute. Not all suffering is bad. From a biblical perspective, can suffering be beneficial? Can all things work together for... Okay. Okay, we, did, we gave you these last week. I gave you the whole slide. That's what it's referring to above. We gave you several reasons from Scripture why there is death and illness. And we pointed out that sometimes it's to be a gospel witness from John chapter 11. We pointed out that sometimes it's for the glory of God. John chapter 11, verse 15, John 9, verse 1, where this, this man is born blind for the glory of God. Not that his parents have sinned, but for the glory of God. Not all illness is a result of somebody's personal sin. All illness is a result of sin. But not every individual case is a result of somebody's individual sin. Does that make, does that make sense to you? Illness is into mankind because of Adam and Eve, okay? But not every time you get a cold, you get the flu, you get the diarrhea, do you sit there and say, oh, I must have done something wrong, okay? That's not in every case. Sometimes it could be the Lord is putting some event in your life to be a witness, sometimes to bring glory. How that happens, I don't know. Sometimes he brings the events into our life to prevent us from sinning. Paul says, lest I be lifted up above measure because of all the different um, revelations you gave to me, there was given unto me a thorn in the... Yeah, so that when I am weak, then I am strong. And so sometimes it's to prevent sin. Sometimes it's to get us to be more reliant upon the Lord. There's multiple reasons, okay? And sometimes we never know the reason. Job never knew the reason. The book ends with him still not understanding. And God's bottom line is, who are you to question? But he never gives him a full answer. Okay? And sometimes that happens to us. But the point is, not every illness is a bad thing. It feels bad. It's, it's bad in the sense that I'm having to go through it. But it can be beneficial. That's important for us to think when we talk about what about an illness, a terminal illness. The goal that God has for you and me is not our comfort, not to make us wealthy, not to make us happy, you know, fat and sassy. The goal is to bring himself glory. In fact, if there's anything that God is working at in our life, it's to conform us to be into the image of Jesus Christ's Son. Okay? And so sometimes, to bring us into that image, trials are beneficial. By the way, not just sometimes, a lot of times. And so somebody's illness may not be a bad thing. It could be God using it to work in your, my heart. But here's the catch. In whatever the suffering is, God's got to be glorified. Okay, we might face a fiery furnace. It doesn't mean we bail out. It means we go through it with the Lord. We might be sold into slavery. 
chances not, but your brothers attack you, they sell you, sell you into slavery, you end up in this, in this terrible land that all of a sudden is pagan and this land has a funny speech pattern and then they lie about you down there and then they forget about you down there and it all is in God's plan that God can use this time of suffering, this time of, this time of sorrow, this time of pain, this lack of quality of life. Couldn't Joseph have claimed, I don't have the same quality of life that I used to have back home? I'm sitting in a dungeon. I'm sitting around people who talk funny. I'm sitting in, in where I'm being attacked. My quality of life has been gone. That should not be the criteria to say, okay, I'm, my life's done. I'm ending it. You can't do that from a Christian point of view. The, um, when it comes to science and medicine, keep this principle in mind. The Bible advocates the use of medicine. It doesn't avoid it. In fact, he says, if you've got a stomach ailment, Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. Oh, that advocates that we should all get drunk. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say that. It says, Timothy, because the water is really bad for you, don't drink the water. So what does Timothy have? He doesn't have aqua bottles, okay? You know, he doesn't have Fina to run to. He doesn't have Propel to get out of the machine, what does he have? Oh, by the way, in Brazil, you know what they sell in Brazil? We were down there several years ago. They sell diet water. <laughs> they couldn't keep it on the shelves fast enough. Diet water. So if you want to make money, go on Shark Tank and advertise you want to sell diet water to the sharks. I bet you they'll give you the money, huh? So, the you know, Timothy's being told, drink a little wine, which was the, had the medicinal, the juices had medicinal value. We read in James chapter 5 where it says, anoint those with oil and then call for the elders. The word for anointing is the idea of massaging in there. And so, after we're using the medications, then let's call them and let's Im- implement prayer. And so, it's advocating. In fact, to, you remember how God used medicines? God has Isaiah go to Hezekiah and says, Hezekiah, you better prepare. You're going to die. So, Isaiah is walking out and Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and he prays. And he says, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, don't let me die. Don't let me die. And God says to Isaiah before he leaves the garden, he says, go back and tell him I'm adding 15, is it? Is that right? Anybody remember? Okay, I'm going to add this many years to his life. He comes back and he says, oh, great king, God has heard your prayer. You're going to live, and he gives him the time. And he knows his time frame, whatever the exact number is. Forgive me for being forgetful. And then the prophet says, now put a poultice on your wound. Oh, I'm going to be extended life, and God's going to not take my life, but God advocates at that moment to use medications. Okay? God is not against medications. God is pro-medication to using. He commends those who went out of the way to provide the, the whole story of the Good Samaritan. Did the Good Samaritan provide medical assistance to the man that was beaten up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So when it comes to science, don't respond this way by saying everything modern and new is bad. If that's the case, all your kids are. Okay? And our cars are. Okay. Air conditioning is bad. I'll guarantee in a couple of weeks you aren't going to think air conditioning is bad. Okay. So we look at it and say, but don't react. Don't, be, don't, don't swing the pendulum and say we shouldn't use medicine. We should. And it's advocated in Scripture. It's encouraged. So where, where does it leave us? Okay. 
Well, let's talk about this one other point, stewardship of life. Okay, what we mean by that is this. To take your own life is wrong. Okay, the Bible, the, the, the Bible makes clear. Now, some of you are going to say, yeah, and I've been told that if somebody takes their life, they go to hell. Okay, um, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never says that. Okay, if a saved person takes their own life, they're still a child of God. Their, their depression, their whatever reason they took their own life, that doesn't take away their salvation. God doesn't qualify and say, this one sin, you lose your salvation. And this one sin is suicide. Never says that in Scripture. Okay? Just like it never says if you get divorced, you're the worst thing in the world, therefore you lose your salvation. But we quantify certain sins and certain, re- certain reactions. Then by, don't, don't do that. Okay? Because it does happen. Believers can take their own lives, it's, it's, but it's wrong. Okay? We're not permitted to do that. And then you have some people like Saul who tried and, didn't, and he even goofed that up. Do you remember the story? That he fell on the sword, he didn't kill himself, and so this guy comes running by and he says, would you help me to finish the job? Do you remember the story? The guy finishes the job and runs to David and says, oh, David, you know, Saul is dead. How do you know Saul is dead? You know, so you're the great king. How do you know? And he says, well, I came by, I saw him, he asked me to finish the job, I finished the job. And David does what to that man? He has his life taken because he committed murder. Okay? And so taking life is wrong. So where does this leave us? You say, Pastor Wayne, you didn't answer the question. I'm giving the best I can do. Okay? So bringing all this in mind. The key question to ask when you're dealing with an illness is not why did this happen to me? That's, not, that's the question that is always asked. It's not the appropriate question. This is for any trial in life. This isn't your primary question. It's a legitimate question, but it's not the primary question. The primary question is, how am I supposed to respond? No matter why this is happening, I still have a certain response and responsibility. If it is for discipline, if it is for building me up, if it is for witnessing, the response has got to be the same. I need to glorify the Lord. I need to respond properly no matter why it's happening. If I'm at fault, if somebody else is at fault, which, by the way, a lot of our trials are because somebody else is at fault. Paul finds himself in a shipwreck situation almost dying, not because he chose to, but because the captain and the captain of the ship and the captain who was guarding, they were impatient people to wait for the season to the storms to go by. They had a few days of clear weather. They get out in the middle of the sea and they have a shipwreck and Paul and everybody else almost dies because of their... Can you imagine people being rash in getting from one place to another? Can't imagine people doing that. Okay? But that happened and they almost lost their life because of somebody else's foolish decision. Impatience. Okay? And so whatever the reason, we're supposed to glorify God. Every individual case of an illness, you're dealing with a relative, a grandparent, you're dealing with somebody, it has to be evaluated individually. In all these cases, we need to exercise great care, caution. I caution you. Do not make your decisions based totally on quality of life, age of the person, or economics. Can God still use a situation where somebody has impairments? Yes. Okay. Do I want... And do you want to be the one with the impairments? No. No. In my mind, my quality of life is I get to do everything I'm doing right now. I don't want to lose some mobility. For me, some of you would, yeah, 
could relate, some of you may not. For me, to lose the ability to speak would be, I could still walk, okay? <laughs> but that, that you know, and, and to me, this is me, this is very personal to me, I think one of the most heinous situations is to lose your thinking capacity and your inability to communicate. And I just look and go, please? You know, let me go a different way. You know, I don't, I don't want... I don't want that. <laughs> but if God puts us in that situation, He is God. Okay, so we, we got to be careful with what we do. Our guide has to be the Word of God. So what we got to do is this. Be careful not to circumvent God's working in and through us during an illness by seeking to bring about death prematurely. You, said, you say, well, when do we know that? Hmm. It gets tough. I'll, I'll do a living will. I, I want to, you know, I, and I think there's value to the living wills, but I want to caution you on something on living wills, okay? I think you need to be, think this through in a couple thoughts. Have someone in charge who's spiritually responsible, okay? Now, this probably isn't your case, but let me give you the bad scenarios. There probably are some families that some people are kind of anxious to move on in their life. Some people can be greedy, and for sake of possessions, they can make decisions a little bit too hasty. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just saying I've, there's... Do you think that's a fair that some people in the world could do that even to a loved one? Yeah, we've all seen it. So if you're going to in your living will give somebody the, you know, the say in this, think through and make sure you're thinking of somebody spiritually with spiritual discernment. Somebody who is thinking clearly by principle. I would do this. I, w- I would just make sure things aren't done hasty. And there's restrictions on this. When people are put on different life supports and things of that sort, Pennsylvania has the laws that when they go on, there's, there's restrictions on how quickly they can come off so things aren't done hastily. Make sure your loved ones, for you, make sure your loved ones know from your perspective. Make sure you relate to your spouse, to your kids, that if I'm in a spot where I am and they've given you clear indication that, that this isn't a reversible thing and if I come out and brainwave, brainwave activity is minimal, all those types of things, make sure they understand you're okay. You're okay with letting, having them let you go so that they don't have what afterwards? Real guilt. Okay, just, just let them know. That you're right, you're going, you're going to be with the Lord, and so the decision that you want them to make a wise decision with information, which means what do we do with this? How do we make that decision? Well, you got to pray. Okay, for some of you, you don't get a lot of time. If there's an accident or an incident, you could be standing at the Good Sam, Hershey, you could be standing in Reading Hospital, and they're saying, we got to make a decision. It's happened within hours, we need, you know, here's where we're at. Some of you have been there. Okay, so the decision is you need to do this. You, you, make, you may, sometimes we do this. We, we question, we in our culture, we think every politician is a crook. Okay, why? Because a bunch of them are, okay? Yes? Yes, we understand that. But then we start questioning every one of them. We think that medicine costs way too much. Is there an amen to that one? Okay. So we think that the, everybody in the white coat 
is a huckster. Don't do that. There's a lot of people in the medical industry that are really sacrificing and practicing servanthood. They really mean well. And so they're, they're, you know, get their input, get their advice, talk with them, and, and get the doctor's advice and what they're saying. And by the way, if you have questions, get a second opinion. But now, this is me. When we're in the hospital with a family, I don't just talk to doctors or encourage the family to talk to the doctor. I want them to talk to who? The nurse. Why? She's the one that spends the most time with this patient. Okay. The doctors are typically in, out, in, out. And their agenda is, their docket's like this. So if we're in one of these cases where somebody's terminal, it's usually ICU, and the ICU units, the nurses have just a small number that they're focusing on, and they're, they're focusing. I mean, what a job. What a job. Think of the emotional trauma for those individuals. Okay? Especially in the, in the children's section. Whew. Turnover rate gets to be pretty high, too. But I talk to those individuals to get a lot of input. And they can give you a lot of that medical input, and it's wise, usually very good. Try to consider all your immediate family members' needs and input. Don't discount others. Try to, in graciousness, because if you discount people in this one, it's going to come back. Families can get really upset with you. Okay? So be cautious so that even in the future you have peace. Get some spiritual counsel. Consider the ill person's spiritual status. They're ready. They're saved. That makes it a whole lot easier. When you make the decision, you make the decision, and then what? Don't second-cast yourself. You move on. You go with it, and then, by the way, that means you not only don't question it, you don't question... Okay, yeah, don't question the Lord. Okay? So I'd say to my kids, if Deb makes the decision for me, she makes the decision, and don't you dare afterwards rag on her. Yeah, why did you do this? Why did you do that? She made a tough decision already. Yeah. Say the decision would be tough. It would be tough. Hey, thank you. Okay, okay. Yeah. Say goodbye. Now you move to the next event. The next event, we got, go ahead. You've just been through this. Yours was, yours, was, yours was that evening. Yes. Allison, um, our daughter Allison was killed in an automobile accident as a result of injuries. And um, we, when we got to Hershey Medical Center, uh, she was in very serious uh, brain condition. And um, two, two specialists came out, the trauma surgeon and the brain specialist. And we asked, we asked probably in three, four different ways about the future of her, her, pro, her prospect medically. And, you know, they would answer us. So, bottom line was, uh, her brain injuries were so traumatic, it was irreversible. And uh, what was the irreversible, and what was that? Terminal. Irreversible terminal brain damage. 
There was no turning back. So they were explaining different things. She had severe bleeding. Um, he said, you know, we could do... And, then, you know, I, I thought, well, I probably shouldn't say this because people will second guess. But um, one of the options, she had severe abdominal and pelvic injuries with uh, extensive bleeding. And the doctors went through the whole thing. The trauma surgeon explained um, we could do surgery to stop the bleeding, but her brain injury is even beyond the point we would normally see. It's, and they kept using two key words. Irreversible, terminal. And so one of the points Pastor Burgraff said was the economic, the medical resources, this and that. But the key issue was we continued to ask them, even if you were to do the uh, preventative treatment to stop the bleeding, the surgery, what would, what would be the prospect? And they said, they confirmed that, okay, it would stop the bleeding, but she is continuing to die, and she will die. This is irreversible. It's so severe. Um, okay, I'm talking reasonably calmly. Now I started to choke up, but uh, it happened so very quickly. In fact, I think we, within 15, maybe 10 minutes of getting to the emergency room, we actually were up, the doctors were talking to us in the ICU, and then within two minutes, we talked to them for about five, 10 minutes, and then we went in and saw Allison, went back out, and then within 10 minutes, I think, we went back and they came and told us that, you know, because he told us that it was progressing down. Anyway, after, so we had to make that decision. That, that decision, not so much to pull the plug, but to not put the, and, and I'll be point blank honest, don't, and I, I actually use these words to them, don't waste medical efforts or insurance money to do something that we know is not going to make any difference. Don't do surgery. And I know we need to quit here very soon. Um, and I'll end with this. And we've said this to ourselves. Then we said it to pastor and to numerous people. Philippians 4, 7, it was unbelievable. And, and, and standing there watching our daughter die, there was this unbelievable peace of God that passes understanding. Mm -hmm. What a blessing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The... Um um, there's, there's so many of you that I don't want to, and I want you to contribute. That's why I'm going to set up a different service next Sunday night for you to have that opportunity. Um, let, me, let me just mention this that I didn't mention to this point. Thank you, Chris. Is, um, there's a big question. Are you prolonging death? Okay, that comes into this. Are we, are, are, are our, 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 our efforts, uh, efforts that are just prolonging the inevitable death. I mean, to a degree, that's true all the time. But are we just, and there's, there's crossing a line. Each, each case is so, so independent. It has to be evaluated. Be careful. Let me get into this because I want to get material into your hands in the next few minutes. What might a family expect if somebody is dying, okay? What might you expect in this death watch, Okay. We, we all hear about it. We make this comment. We say somebody is on hospice, and if you're not, if you're not 
careful, as soon as you hear the word hospice, you think they've got just a couple days to live. That's not what hospice is all about. It is in many cases, but it's not. Uh, Keep this in mind. When people go on hospice, it doesn't mean that they're going to die within the next 24 hours or 36 hours or 48 hours. It means that they are no longer doing the normal medical uh, procedures and they're going to stop everything from the doctor's point of view and they're going under the care of these people who are still providing medical assistance, but the medical assistance is to provide comfort care. There is no more surgery. There is no more all the different things. They're just going to let the things run their course. So somebody could be on hospice for weeks. Okay, so don't assume as soon as you hear hospice, that means that they are incapacitated. They cannot communicate. That may not be the case. They, they could be up and around, moving. They could be, still be walking. But they've come to the point where their disease is such that they're not going to do any more of the normal um, medications other than just comfort pain management. And so if you're dealing with somebody who is in that situation, you have a neighbor, you have a loved one, what might you expect? You can expect good health from hospice. Okay? Um, most everyone that we have met with hospice does a phenomenal job. Just really, really good. And so don't be afraid to use them. But understand that they are limited because the number of people that are going on that, that limits their resources. So you say, well, hospice should be here at this moment or they don't come as often as I wish they would come. That is a, that's a frustration for a lot of people in these moments. But it's a reality that there's limitations of what they can do. You can expect this typically if you're the caregiver and somebody is in their final hours. You can expect some long hours. Okay? I'm not trying to paint a negative picture, but this is part of the reality of it, that there's tiredness, there's an emotional draining. You think you're tired now. Okay? Uh, you will be exhausted, but you have this adrenaline to keep you going, but it's gonna be, it can be really up and down that you're trying to provide, you're trying to care for a parent, a spouse, and uh, you're, everything else goes on hold. And it's just amazing. Other people's lives continue. But your life is totally on hold. You can expect really awkward moments. Okay? We joke about it in my family. They joke about what they're going to do when I'm in this condition. You know, and you know, there's going to be a reality that it could be if they're doing home care, somebody's going to start diapering. That's awkward. Okay, that's difficult. Um, there is trying to get medicine. Somebody who is elderly and not and somewhat incapacitated, you thought you had problems getting medicine to your kids when they were little? You could have that same thing with an, uh, with an adult. And they may, not be, they may not be clear-minded to know what you're doing. And so you may feel like, I am battling this person. And that's awkward. It's hard when, when they're struggling and they, don't, and they gag on the medicine, but you need to get them the medicine. And the medicine is the pain medicine. And so you can expect some of that can be difficult. You can expect, for some of you, an unwarranted guilt. I have got to stay here. I have got to stay here. If I, if I leave, and this is, the, this is for a lot of us, if I leave, what happens if I leave and, and they were all by? Yeah. Does that create guilt? Yeah. And so you want to be there, and, you know, you know, and it can be difficult. Can I give you some practical suggestions? Okay. Uh, and a lot of you, and we're going to talk, we're going to let some of you have the opportunity to, to speak next week um, in the evening. But remember some things. Remember that the person who is in this state, they can hear, it's one of the lads, from what our medicines seems to indicate, they can hear longer than any of the other abilities. So be careful what you say. 
okay? Be careful standing there and dividing up the property. I say that not to be silly. I'm amazed by some conversations, you know, that are, you know, that are taking place. Do, do t- take times of reading. Read to the individual. If they, have a, if they have a book they really liked, sit and read. Do you good? Do them good? Read the scriptures to them. Play music. Play music. Do some singing. When you get, <coughs> when you get, <coughs> excuse me, the cough drop. <coughs> okay. Should we pull the plug? <laughs> oh, excuse um, talk about your memories. Talk about the good things that are going on um, when you're in that spot. You know, speak about those things. Uh, as, if you're there as a group, sing, do some singing. Okay? Uh, it would be good for them. It would be good for you at the same time. Uh, if at all possible. Okay? So most of you are going to say right away, well, other family members wouldn't jump in. And that's probably a lot of cases. But I know of cases where other family members wanted to jump in and they weren't allowed to jump in and then afterwards, there's the argument that none of you helped. Okay, let the other family members help you. Okay, use their, their help. Don't assume you and only you are the, you know, the criteria person that, that they need you. You may need a break. Okay, if you don't get a break, you're going to, you're going to break yourself. Okay, so you need to sleep. And if it means you need to get out of that house and go and sleep in your own bed, do, do most of us sleep better in our own bed? I mean, you got your own bed, and that, that always feels good. You have your own pew. That always feels much better than some other pew in the room. So take a break. You need to get out of there sometimes. You need to just go to a store, go to a restaurant with somebody else just to get away for an hour or two to clear your mind. Okay? It's very important. Let others do their part. Uh, continuing on. Allow others to help. If friends, family, church members say, hey, is there anything we can do? Say yes. If they did, if they, you're not imposing. If they offered, have them do the shopping. Have them pick up, if they could, the medication. Have them do some chores. Have them take care of doing some phone calls. Have them run and pay your bills if that's the way it needs to be. But use the help that other people are offering. If there's prescribed medications, please use the medication. We're talking typically morphine, pain medication. Don't feel bad about saying, well, you know, I know that they didn't like medications. Okay? Um, I, I'm probably like some of you. I don't want to take, take medication. I just as soon avoid it. And so I'll become grumpy with headaches rather than take aspirin. <laughs> so if I'm, in this, if I'm in this moment, strong advice, even though she knows I didn't take medication, I need that medication if I'm in this moment. And keep ahead of the pain. Don't wait until they say, well, now they're really thrashing. If it's on a scheduled time, give it to them at that scheduled time. Don't wait until their body starts showing because then you're behind the eight ball with the medication. Then you will have discomfort. Then you will have awkward, more awkward situations. And if you, they, you notice the medication you're giving and they're still responding not well, call the hospice and get the medication increased. Okay, and work with it and try to keep it because you're dealing with comfort, trying to, trying to control. Keep your family members informed. 
Let the others know what's happening, where this is progressing. Typically, most of you, you won't have to worry about it. Your family member is going to keep on calling because they want to keep abreast. But go out of your way. Can you, can you read the next one? Put aside the petty feuds. I don't care if you had a fight over the sofa. Who got the sofa? Who got the lawn chairs? Drop it. Work together as a family and help each other. Just drop the silly stuff. Don't bring it up at these moments when you're standing around the bed and talking and say, well, you were always dad's favorite because he gave you this. And speaking of which, you know, just stay away from that stuff. It's just there's, there's no wisdom in it. Let the loved one know. They can hear you. Let them know it's okay to leave. That they can rest and stop fighting. You will be okay. The kids will be okay. The wife, the husband will take care of them. Let them know that. Give them some of those assurances. Okay, help for those who are going through it. Pray for them. Somebody in your family, somebody in your neighborhood. Make yourself available in the small ways. Drop cards. Let them know you're thinking of you, thinking of them. Um, don't, don't make these dumb comments like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's a good thing that you get this opportunity that they're sick because you get to say goodbye to them. Really? Really? Uh, let them know you appreciated their loved one. Speak of their loved one. It's, and it's still good to walk up and say how much we did this last week, didn't we, Nancy? We just stood here and we were talking about how Doug would be joking about something. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with talking about the person and saying how much you appreciate him because when we say to you how much we appreciate Doug, you feel, yeah. And so let them know. Stop by for brief, brief visits. Brief. Okay? But stop by. Offer to make a meal. Drop off a meal. Mow the lawn for them. Um, you, 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 you think it's not much, but going to the store and getting the items they need, wow. Coming by and mowing their lawn, wow. You know, saying I'm going to go, and go to the post office for them and drop off stuff, wow. Helpful, helpful, helpful. Give them a spell, even to go and say, hey, go out for a meal. You know, I'll sit here and Deb can take you out to Arby's. Okay. Not anymore, huh? Hometown. Oh, excuse me. If we're doing advertisements, let's do them right. Okay. okay. Let's do hometown. But just that hour makes a difference. And for them to go, it, it, it's a whole lot. It's, it's a, you know, go out by yourself. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Ha, take them out. Take them out. Now, here's the, where I wanted to get to. And this is what I wanted to give you. Eight pages of things you can do. I'm not giving them out, okay? I need to explain them. So we are back another week from where I wanted to be. I didn't get through all the notes, but is that a surprise? Okay. We're going to do next Sunday. I'm going to go into next Sunday night as well. So plan accordingly. Thanks.